Hi there, I'm Nicolette Reed, and this is EIB Export News. Hi there, and welcome back to the EIB Export News podcast. Today is the second podcast, and it's all about traveling overseas in regards to EAR and ITAR, and how that applies to you, the average manufacturing company. So this could be for perhaps your sales team. In fact, a lot of times it usually is sales who's traveling overseas and shaking those hands and bringing devices with them when they travel, right? So it's the actual devices and technology that we're trying to control that they bring with them when they travel. So uh, everything we're gonna talk about today, you can actually hop on a very brief training class that we offer at EIB. Uh, So if you wanna find out more about that, you can go to eib.com, or you can give us a call at 978-256-0438, and you can just say, hey, I'm interested in learning more about what to do when I'm traveling overseas in regards to EAR and ITAR. And they'll sign you up for a very brief training class that we offer that's going to cover a lot more details than what I'm going to do today. For today's podcast, I'm just going to cover the Cliff Notes version of this, if you will. But I do urge you that if you're planning any upcoming travel, which I know a lot of us have been putting off travel because of COVID-19, but hopefully coming around the bend in the future, we'll all be traveling again. And when we're traveling, we're going to want to remember... Uh, what the requirements are in terms of traveling internationally with our technology. So if you're traveling internationally with any type of laptop or cell phone or anything like that that might have company info on it, then this applies to you. So with all that being said, let's go ahead and get started. So informational websites that pertain to today's podcast would be the Bureau of Industry and Security, as well as the U.S. State Department, uh, Department of Defense Trade Controls. So you can get to those websites, BIS would be bis.doc.gov, and you can get to the U.S. State Department website by going to pmddtc.state.gov. So everything we're going to cover today is really actually standard best practices in terms of being compliant with ITAR and EAR transactions, okay? So these come right from the regulations. So in order to be compliant with ITAR and EAR best practices, it says right there in the regulations that control of technology accessed by foreign nationals is a key component as well as foreign national access controls for things like visitors, employees, to exchange technical data about your products, and proper records of such exchanges of information have to be maintained. Another key component there would be proper licensing of ITAR and controlled EAR products. So, you know, if you just make novelty products, you know, off-the-shelf product that have no type of defense application, they're not even controlled for a national security level, then, you know, you don't really have to worry so much. But a lot of us have even the base level control on an EAR product. Many electronics, for example, have at least a national security level control on them in terms of EAR. So EAR is just Export Administration Regulations 
for regular old commercial products, but any brand new, cutting edge, sophisticated, dual use, high technology will be controlled for national security reasons and licenses for corresponding technical data may be required as well. That's when this type of stuff applies to you. So proper licensing of ITAR and controlled EAR products is what we're talking about today and the tech data about those products. Licensing is required for that as well to all foreign destinations or all foreign persons with limited exemptions to our good old buddy Canada. So what are exports? What I tell people when I'm giving trainings is, you know, you put something in a box, you send it overseas, boom, that's an export. We all know that, right? But there's a lot of other things that our United States government also considers an export that you may or may not be aware of. So sending or taking a defense article or a defense service out of the U.S., that's considered an export. So a service could be a service on a defense item. So if you're gonna maintenance it or repair that defense item, or you're gonna train folks how to use that defense item, well, that's considered a defense service, okay? It's also considered an export. Another thing that's considered an export is control of ownership to a foreign entity or person of anything on the USML. So that's United States Munitions List. That's what the USML is. So if you make a defense product that's considered an ITAR level defense product, then that means your item that you make or accessory or component for that item is listed on that USML or controlled under the EAR in the Commerce Control List or CCL. Okay, so if you're going to transfer control of ownership of any of those things, that's considered an export, all right? Including transferring ownership of your company to a foreign company. You know, foreign umbrella company wants to buy out your U.S. company. Well, that's considered such a beefy export that there's a whole separate set of regulations for those called CFIUS. It's a whole separate filing that has to be approved before you can sell your company because that's considered an export of technology. You know, that foreign company is now going to own your company and own all the information about the tech you make. So it's considered an export. Another thing that's considered an export that's sometimes intangible is disclosing information about a defense product, okay? Including visual and oral information, or I'm sorry, not just a defense product, but a controlled high-tech product as well, or something that's considered critical technology but also defense articles. So if you're transferring any defense article in the U.S. or abroad to a foreign person or their government agency, mission or embassy, that's also considered an export. So that information that you're sharing with them, it could be visual information, you know, schematics, or it could be oral information. You're just telling them something. But in order to tell them certain details about your defense product, you actually got to get a license for that because it's considered an export. Another thing, again, we kind of touched on this briefly, but performing a defense service for the benefit of a foreign person, whether they're here in the U.S. or they're there overseas. So again, what's a defense service? Think of it as servicing a defense item. So are you fixing or repairing a defense item? Are you maintenancing it? Are you training folks how to use it? That would be a defense service, okay? And there's other gray areas that are considered a defense service as well, but I don't want to get too far into it. So what are actual defense items? Because believe it or not, some folks are making defense items out there, scary as this sounds, 
they're making them and they're shipping them and they don't even know they're classified for defense. Very scary stuff, ladies and gentlemen. But any item that's on the USML or is designated in ITAR category is a defense item. Other stuff that's defense items are 600 series items uh, that are specified in the CCL of the Export Administration Regulations. So these are items that used to live in the ITAR but got moved over to the EAR side and got assigned a special 600 number associated with them. Other things that are obvious defense items, uh, ITAR items that have Roman numerals associated with them. So if you have a Roman numeral category associated with the product you make, that means it's an ITAR item. But other ITAR and EAR defense items also include stuff like models, mock-ups, and other items that reveal technical data or the molds for the finished product. Uh, defined types of defense articles, okay, are end items, components, accessories, attachments, parts, firmware, software, about the defense item. A lot of folks miss the software part, okay? That is a defense item. If it's about a defense item and the software makes it work or the software trains you how to use it, that's a controlled software. Systems and technical data, which are again, written details about the finished product. So when we're traveling, okay, foreign travel with regards to computers and other electronic devices, we all gut them these days. It's a great way to stay in touch with our folks back at home. It's a great way to stay in touch with our company and stay on top of things. But if you're traveling overseas and you make defense articles, you wanna be aware that in most cases, if you're traveling to another country with a company-owned laptop that just has typical office productivity software, you probably will not need an export license. As long as the equipment is always under your immediate control and is gonna to return to the US within a year. If you are traveling to an embargoed country, however, and you have a non-retail grade encryption software installed, or the device includes EAR or ITAR controlled technical data, or the hardware is unusually sophisticated, then you should check with an export control officer for further advice to see if perhaps you're taking something that's a little more robust than what you need on your trip, okay? The reason why is that if this fell into the wrong hands or somebody was able to tunnel into your device using some type of sophisticated technology they have, then you know they have all the written information and details about that defense item. And then they can copy that item, which is not only not good in a proprietary manner because then they start making your item perhaps for cheaper in a place like China, but it's also bad for the rest of us because it puts us at a huge national security risk if now other countries start worming into your laptop and discovering our defense technology that you're working so hard on. As of March 2017, so that's already four years ago. The Department of Homeland Security required all passengers traveling on direct flights to the United States from 10 select airports to store all personal electronic devices, PEDs, larger than a cell or smartphone in checked baggage. Items such as laptops, iPads, and cameras will no longer be allowed in carry-on luggage. So that's as of March 2017. So for four years, we were supposed to already be doing this the right way. So hopefully you were, <laughs> but if you weren't, start doing it now. Traveling outside of the U.S., 
with stuff like laptops, tablets, smartphones, or storage devices involves special considerations and may require an export license. If any of this information is new to you, or you remain unsure about whether or not you need a license to travel with data on your laptop or electronic device, call us at 978-256-0438 or email us through info at eib.com and we'll be happy to help you. My name is Nicolette and I was your host. I look forward to seeing you every other week. Till then, remember, export compliance, it's the law. We make it simple.